Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love talking to creative people, and today my guest is my good friend Matt Zarley. He's a singer who's recently created a very unique project called 11 O'Clock Number. It's um, 12 songs that he recorded from Broadway musicals, and he did videos for all of them that are threaded together with a storyline um, that's set during the pandemic and deals with a lot of different issues about wanting to be a performer and family and relationships. And it's kind of unique in that I've never seen anything quite like it. Uh, it's very ambitious. And as his friend, I watched it evolve over the months and saw how hard he worked on it. And uh, the end result is pretty amazing. And we're going to do a listening party with Matt and play a little excerpt from each of the songs and talk about um, why he chose those songs and what went into the videos of them and the whole project and what it was like to be on Broadway when he was uh, doing that um, in shows like Cats and Chorus Line and Joseph and The Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat and Tommy and uh, what it was like to be in Broadway Bears, which I always wanted to know about. And uh, it's going to be fun. So before we get to that, though, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Prell Shampoo. No, it's not. I just made that up. I, I pulled that right out of my ass. Prell, is that even a shampoo anymore? Anyway, I don't have any sponsors. It's just me. But I love doing it. And there are two ways you can support the show if you love it. Um, one way is to go to DennisAnyone.net slash support. And you can leave a tip in my virtual tip jar. Help me cover the expenses that come with doing the podcast or you could become a subscriber to dnr studios for one monthly fee you get my show two days early and you get all these other terrific shows and you can learn about that at dnrstudios.com all right that's enough for the plugs and now it's time for the listening party of matt zarley's 11 o'clock number all right joining me now it's matt zarley singer uh songwriter uh, actor performer broadway veteran um, we're in his house. This is an in-person interview. Only my second since I got this new equipment. My first was with an adult film performer who came mm. to my house. He I wanted to do it in person. I heard that podcast. I you, listened to it. Thank you, Joel. Someone. Yes, thank you. And so this is only my second time using this equipment. We're finding our way. But we wanted to do this in person because you created a really cool project. And I've watched it evolve as a friend of yours. And... Now it's coming to fruition. I made you watch all these. It's so it's been amazing to see it evolve because <laughs> it started as like, yeah, I think I'm going to record a couple of songs, and then now it's like this epic big, thing. it's this epic thing. Focus. <laughs> That's like you do that though. Is like as a friend, I've noticed this. Like, like I'll, you'll have one idea, and the next time I talk to you, it's like a big thing. Like I've <laughs> called in my string player, and now we're doing this. Well, and I now call we're doing it. That. I call it my 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 Russian doll technique. Right? You just keep uh, <laughs> yeah. unveiling more. Exactly. So tell people that don't know anything about what we're talking about what exactly 11 o'clock number is. 11 o'clock number, I would describe it personally as a 12-episode musical short form series. Right. That's a lot of fancy words. That's a lot of words. I know. It deserves um, <laughs> all of them, every word. I have, I have some friends that call it a visual album. Okay. And another friend of mine calls it a dozen musical vignettes. So right. But there's a through line that carries it through. There's a story. There's a character who is not you. Not Can me. you talk a little bit about that aspect and how you sure. came up with that? When I, when I have done any music project in the past, I'm always just myself. I'm just playing myself for the most right. part. And with this, I did not want to get stuck in a box. I wanted to have a little bit of freedom with the narrative. Um, since I decided to create a narrative around these songs that were already recorded for the most part, which is so, totally 
backwards. Right. You had already done the whole songs, and then you're like, yeah. you know what? I'm going to figure out a way to string <laughs> yeah. this together. Okay. I recorded, like, maybe, like, nine or ten songs. Right. And then the last, like, two, I fit into the narrative that I started to create. So it was really backwards. But it was a challenge. It was fun. Um, and my, my friend Kathy said it perfectly because I was kind of stressing out about it. I said, I don't know if I'm going to be able to create you know, a, a realistic story that people will relate to that's going to make sense. And she said, well, all of these songs spoke to you personally. That's why you recorded them. You can create something personal out of that. I love that. So, yeah. so that was sort of like your way of thinking as you approached it. Yeah. Yeah. So these are all songs from musicals, but they're all songs by women. Originally, um, yeah. They were yeah. all a female Usually their big 11 o'clock number in the show that it's from. For the right. Most part. And is it kind of, is there a part of you that's like, oh, they always get the big numbers that they I want to see. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Women's, women, with the exception of maybe Les Mis, the women always get the best songs. Always. I feel like musical theater is one of the few areas of show business where it really is about the women. <laughs> totally. It really is. I think music in general, a lot of times is about them. I mean, if you think about it, like, it's, I mean, to me, the women, I mean, if I had to like, pick which gender always had the better songs of the two, definitely women would win. Right. And I think in music in, in general, but definitely musical theater, you know, for sure, without a doubt. A lot of the people that I've had on my podcast recently are talking about pandemic projects, things that they develop to keep them from, you know, going too crazy during the pandemic. Right. Is, would you call this a pandemic project? For Absolutely. You? Yeah. I mean, I would say two months into the pandemic lockdown, I just had an idea of just for fun recording this one song from Miss Saigon that I always secretly wanted to sing. That's how it started. Right. And I thought, you know, I'm going to record that other song from Miss Saigon that I love. Um, And it kind of went from there. And then by the time I had like six or seven songs, I played it for a friend of mine and he's like, you need to create something out of these. This can't be like just a little one-off. It's got to be like, you have to utilize all these songs. They're just, it's so unique. And, um, so that's kind of how it, the genesis of it began was really this friend of mine, actually our mutual friend, Fritz Alexson. Right, former, former guest of the podcast. Yeah. He was like, this feels like a bigger thing than just these individual songs. Um, I have some questions about Broadway in general that I've yeah. never asked you about that I'm always curious about. You appeared on Broadway in shows like Chorus Line, Cats, Tommy, Joseph, and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, yep. Donny Osmond, Michael Damien. Who's Mike, your Joseph? Michael Damien was our... Michael Damien. It's all about that Joseph wig. Yeah, Don- <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, I wore that Joseph wig. You did? I was. I was his understudy. How often did you go on? I went on once. Once? <laughs> did you nail it? Just once. Um, I think I did a really good job. Yeah. Considering it, was, it was like my first, you know, starring role on Broadway. Yeah. And I only got to do it once. So. Did you feel like you wanted to pull a Nomi Malone and throw some beads on the stage so Sometimes. that Michael would wipe out? Okay. Sometimes I did. But you but didn't. You didn't I do didn't. it. I okay. didn't. No. No. I want to get your philosophy on certain Broadway things that I think okay. are interesting. Curtain call. Mm-hmm. What's your bow like? Did it change from show to show? Yes. It depends on the show. Okay. Because um, usually, usually most curtain calls are somewhat choreographed by the choreographer. Right. But I, every person has their thing. Yeah, it just depends. Like, like when I did Tommy, our curtain call was just about. It wasn't anything special. Right. You know? Um, but then, like, when I did Cats, we all had our own solo Moment. And, I, and I did a big, you know, big leap thing as my bow. That's what you do in that. Yeah. Um, chorus line, you have a little bit of a, a bow in the finale, but it's not really a bow per se. Yeah. And we all have the same bow. So it just depends on what, what show it is. All I always watch how the 
actors interact with each other after the curtain call when they're yeah. walking on uh-huh. who likes who who's friends with you who's going who's, out for a drink afterwards who's going out for a drink who's <laughs> over it who's over mm-hmm. it um oh i do that all the time so would you yeah you watch for that too but Absolutely. when you're the person do you think about um i'm gonna pat that lead act i'm gonna pat hugh jackman on the shoulder because i want the audience to think that <laughs> no <we're friends. laughs> no but the one thing I, I am aware of is 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 maintaining that same attitude through Keep it, yes. Through that curtain dropping, you know what I mean? You don't, you don't want to yeah. forecast that you're in a bad mood or you had a terrible show or something. Right. So you kind of keep it up all the yeah. way through it. I, I love. Profesh. I love to watch the curtain call. It's kind of like at the end of Saturday Night Live. At the yeah, end, to- I do the same. Like, <laughs> do the same how thing. do they feel about the guest host? Totally. I do the same thing. I'm like, yeah. oh, they like her. Are they friends with her now? Yeah. They uh, probably exchange phone numbers or something. Yeah, yeah. It's like, how do they feel about J-Lo being here all week? You know? Um, yeah. So I love that dynamic. Um the stage door moment when mm-hmm. you come out, what's it like? Well, that protocol has changed a lot on Broadway right. from, from when I was on Broadway. Yeah. Because it's been several years since I did a Broadway show, but they do the whole barricade thing now at stage doors on Broadway. Right. They like to keep the people back from the stage door itself. And that wasn't, it was not that way when I was doing the show. Um, but, you know, like I've, I've been backstage with my friend Billy when he was doing Kinky Boots and Billy and he, Porter. And he, you know, and they were all waiting for him, basically. Of course. But there was, a, you know, a total barricade out there, so they couldn't get super on top of him, super close to him. He'll sign autographs and stuff, but it's there's somewhat of a, a barrier between the two. Now, when you came out, how would the people interact with you? Do they want pictures or do? You, yeah, do, it just yeah. it depends on what show it was. Like, I mean, Tommy had we had groupies, right? Because you were you were at a more <laughs> prominent role in that. Yeah, I seen Pinball Wizard, yeah. and um, the three of us, the three pinball lads, we definitely. Um, Got a lot of love from the groupies. I love it. What's your favorite stage door moment? Do you have one that you remember as either as a fan or as a person being in the show? Probably the first time I went on for Mr. Mistopheles in Cats. My, right. my parents happened to be at the show. Oh, my gosh. Now, I was on tour with the show. so, And I went on in Phoenix. And um, they were at the show, and I did not tell them before the show that I was on. They were coming to the show anyway. Yeah, and you would have been in a different role. Yeah, I would have been in uh, Ensemble. Pounceable, yeah. Yeah. So they came and I was on for Mr. Mustafa's and it was a total surprise when they announced it before the show. They did, had no idea. That, so that was probably the coolest that, yes. that I can remember. That's exciting. Yeah. I love – because part of what came across as I was watching this web series evolve is your love for that world. Yeah. And when did the you – people mostly. That's what I love the most. I mean I love – there's so much about it I love, but – but, like, the prologue is, like, it's showtime almost or the countdown and the mm-hmm. dressing room and all the of that. The theater district. The theater district. Getting all ready that. and yeah. all. Yeah. Was it hard to leave when you left? When I left, no, because I had sort of a mission in mind at the time, and I felt like L.A. was the best place for me to go to sort of pursue that. Yeah. It didn't really matter where I was, but my family was out here as well. And so that was – that sort of influenced that decision. But, you know, I – I would be lying if I didn't say I always wondered what would have happened if I would have stayed in New York. Because right. I was definitely at a turning point, I think, in my Broadway career. Because I was always the featured ensemble person understudying the lead. I was that person. Right. In a few shows. In three shows. And all of those assholes <clears throat> never died. None of them ever had the – they all had well, the nerve Tommy, to I, keep living. Tommy, our closing week of Tommy, I went on for four shows. Oh, that's good. That's solid. And Pete Townsend was at my first show that I went on. All right. So that was – That's that, not nothing. That was something. That's something. Um, but, yeah, um, I always wonder what would have happened had I stayed in New York and what my career would have looked like. 
Well, as I was watching this, one thing struck me, which is you did a lot of this during the pandemic, and you also edit and shoot things. You 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 have a lot of skills. Broadway, you're part of a big group, and this is very just you a lot of times. Does is that contrast striking to you? Like, does it feel lonely, or did do you miss being part of a big group yeah, of people? Absolutely. I mean, you form a family with those people, right? That you do eight shows a week with. Um. I mean, it's hard. Eight shows a week is hard. But yeah. it's kind of nice having somewhere to go every day. Yeah. That's consistent. You know, I mean, it, once again, it depends on the show. Like Tommy, I could have done Tommy for 10 years. I loved doing that show so much. Right. It was so fulfilling. It was such a good – it was a great show. The cast was always unbelievable. You know, and that really was because the director and choreographer was still very, very involved with the show after it opened. Right. And, this, you know, the show ran for two years. They were still – I mean, Des Mackinac put me into the show. Right that, just, that never happens. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think as a result, the show's integrity just, you know, it was always high. Always. I never saw that show. I've never oh seen my. it. Well, it's I coming, know. It's coming back next Is season. It? Next season. All right. Yeah. I like it. Your shows, a lot of them, like your early ones, Chorus Line, Cats, were major dance shows. Yeah. Did people know you could sing as well as you sing? Or did you handicap to go, hey, I do this too? <laughs> that sounded like a stupid question. Well, that yeah. sounded like a... A, a backhanded compliment, but no, when I know, people I know see you, you as a dancer, well, you know, well, I don't you, think they expect you to sing. Well, like well this. and you also know because you, you've been in business on that side as well. It's like if you're a dancer, you really don't do anything else in their eyes, in right. casting people's eyes. And when I first moved to New York, I moved there to, to do. I did Cats on the Road for a year and a half, and then I moved there to do Chorus Line on Broadway. And those were like the pinnacle dance shows of that right. of that era. And um, I wasn't really. I sang sort of, but I wasn't really super strong singer at that point. Right. And when I moved there, I, I studied. And I, I mean, I took voice lessons every week. I was really, really devoted to it. But the, it sort of flipped the day that my voice teacher said to me, and I'll never forget. He said, Matthew. said, you're, Oh, I love that he called you Matthew. He called me Matthew. He said, Matthew, you're a singer who dances, not a dancer who sings. Remember that. And I just – and that to, to say that to a dancer is means – it holds a lot of weight. Well, also, you know you have a more viable – path because dancing you know it's the limited. jig is up yeah 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 and so he, that's a big he's bestows on you this way of looking at yourself i mean he really, really took me under his wing and really yeah looked after me and i mean he's definitely my mentor for sure what's his name his name is bill schumann right on and he was one of one of the premier vocal teachers for broadway he was Leia Salonga's teacher and howard mcgillen and brent barrett um who else said it with him? well michael bolton I think Andrea Bocelli may have studied with him. For right on. I love your vocal styling because it's a little poppy. It's not super music theater. Yeah, I remember that. When you were auditioning, <laughs> did you sing kind of in a similar style that you do now? Was that ever a weird thing? Like, no, you know, you need to be a little more traditional. Did you feel like your voice was well, you know, they, a, a fit for what they were I looking for never, at the time? Yeah, I was rarely called in for traditional musical theater shows. I was always called in for the more. You're not Oklahoma. You're not. Um... I, actually, I, I was up for Oklahoma, that revival. <laughs> but that's like, that's really one of the only times that right. I was ever. And that's because I knew the director. Right. But yeah, I'm, I was always called in for the more contemporary shows. Right. Yeah. So this project is a lot of female, uh, all female roles. Is there a male role that you were like, I wanted that one? Like, I, that feels like you would, or that you would still like to do, that you could, that you could do? Um, well, I mean, right when I left New York, Rhett was coming out. Yeah. And I think if I would have stayed in New York, I would have been in that show. Right on. Who would you have been? Well, 
it's funny when I, I finally auditioned for the show because the first year they wouldn't see any musical theater people. They only wanted rockers. They wanted Edgy, authentic rock singers. They wanted um, boho people. That exactly. Are, they but wanted they, real but, squatters. But they exactly like they, Anthony Rapp, who's legend, who's famously a squatter. I mean, come on. <laughs> but then I realized. <laughs> but then they realized that you know people that don't have training can't really do eight shows a week, right. and they were they blow blowing their, their voice. voice exactly. Yes. So they started seeing theater pe- uh, theater actors that have more contemporary edge. So when I went in for it, they called me in for Mark originally. Right. But then I got them. They said. Oh no, you're Roger. So they had me sing. They came, called me back for Roger. So I, I auditioned for both, and I really thought I was going to get it. I mean, I it was like one of those outer body experience auditions. You know what I mean? It went so well, but then it always felt really um, just organized. Mm. The casting process for that show. Interesting. Um, I think they got better at it and it got yeah. more organized, but I feel like I got lost in the shuffle for some reason. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's that's the one show. The one show I I would love to do. And I'm old enough to do it now is uh, Valjean and Lady. Oh, right on. I see that. Yeah. I could see that. I think I, I think little I Hugh that. Jackman uh, essence, I see. Not that he's the definitive. He's just the movie guy. I like Ramin Karimloo. He did the revival. He's my favorite one of all time. I don't know him, but he sounds sexy. Oh, my. He and is. Take, and and his voice is like yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. I love it. You were in Broadway Bears. Many times. Many times. Yeah. From the outside, Broadway Bears is a burlesque-esque style benefit show where a lot of Broadway performers do sexy dances and show their bodies. Yeah, it's a strip. It's a strip. I think if you're a sexy young guy on Broadway and you rock in your body and you're in a big show and you're in Broadway Bears, you must feel like you are the shit. <laughs> right? Totally. Like, yes. To a degree, yeah. I mean. You're also not eating anything. and No, you're starving and you're cranky and you're hangry. And, you're, and, you're, and, and so-and-so's got more abs than you and you're like, that fucker. Yeah. Yeah. But what, it, what, what did it feel like to be in Broadway Bears? I bet it was sexy. You know, I, I did Broadway Bears in the early days. It wasn't as big before as they all now. sold out. <laughs> kind of right. <laughs> no, I well, don't know. Well, it was different. I mean, back when I did it, Jerry Mitchell, who was the creator of it, right. and, and he choreographed every number yeah. originally. He would invite you to be in it. Yeah, it was, it was an invitation. A, it says A, you're talented. B, you're hot. I, I mean, get, you could I, mean, co- I could coast on that for a year, <laughs> or two years. Um, but it got so big that you know a lot of people that weren't in Broadway shows wanted to be in it. Yeah, they, and. Who is, you know, Barbie Cares can't really say no to people that want to donate their time and their talent. I mean, how do you yeah. say no to that? <laughs> I mean, you really can't. You know what I mean? They can't be like, take off your shirt. Yeah, take it off and see what we got. <laughs> you know? Wow. But, so but originally, it was just people that were in Broadway shows only. Right, yeah. You know, at the time. And that completely opened up. And now it's, you know, it's 20 times as big now. Did you ever date anyone that you met doing Broadway Bears? Or make out with? Yes. Yes, I love it. I think everyone did. That's the whole point. Yes. Yes. Oh, charity, charity. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Char- <laughs> love it. Oh, it's so good. Everybody did. I yes. mean, yeah, it was just, it was that environment. It was fun. It was so fun really and horny. Fun. I love it. All right. So we're going to have a listening party of your big project. Sweet. Um, talk to me about the prologue, which starts, uh, which is like this little opening, but I, I think it really sets the, the tone. Yeah. The, the prologue, um, was it's just it's a bunch of like musical stems that I create that I created or or found, and I created this p- piece of music out of it. Um, it's a lot of sound effects actually. It's not even traditional music if you listen to it. Right, there's like the orchestra's tuning exactly. Up, and and there's then, a, is it the voice of Billy Porter? And Billy Porter does the the intro, yeah, the places and the half hour call. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your half hour call. 
So he gets to be the put up on stage manager. <laughs> he's in a bad mood. He's in a bad. He's not in a great mood. He sent that to me. I said, I said, why are you so mad though? Why is he mad? Because you know it's what, so the funny. union isn't really <laughs> stepping up. And then the first song that we hear, and then each of these songs has a video that tells part of a story, and then there's these diaries within it. It's really a unique project as a whole, and and you can. You can watch it on YouTube and, and see how it unfolds. But the first song you chose to feature is Never Enough from The Greatest Showman, which I enjoyed that film, but that film felt like a trailer for itself. <laughs> Absolutely. It right? Was, it was like a Reader's Digest It's something. It was musical. like, is there a story? I yeah. guess there is. No, the, and the songs were the just songs unbelievable. The songs are so good. So let's listen to a bit of Never Enough. Towels of gold are still too little. These hands could hold. Okay, you're starting off the gate with some big ass notes. You're, going, you're swinging for the fences right out of the gate. Yeah. When you're recording these, is it? Do you do you try to get it in one take, or when you're doing no. these big notes, how no, no, hard no. is it? To, it depends on and the you're song. You're a perfectionist. Like how hard? I was is it? on this particular project. I was I was even more of a perfectionist. Right. Plus, I felt like I had the the time and the freedom to do it because of the situation. Wait, nobody we were was in. going anywhere. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, I I literally, if I felt really good. Vocally that day or that, that night, I would go in the, in the booth and sing till five in the morning if I felt great. Yeah. That's just what I did. Um, oh, God. One take? No. Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. None of them are one take. What was it about that song that you love? Never Enough? Yeah. Um, well, it's epic. Yeah. I thought that it would definitely um, – I, I, I mean, because I first recorded it before I knew what it was actually going to be a part of. Right. And I – I just I love the melody and I love just how it soars and it just it, it feels good to sing, and it all sits in a very sort of similar space the the placement of it because people listen listen to it and they think oh my god it's so rangy and it's actually really not that rangy it's it all sits in the same range yeah so it feels really good that's kind of like um, used to be mine also kind of has that same thing it just feels good to sing so that's really where it came from originally and then in the context of the of the show it seemed like the perfect way to start the series and you know, all the musical numbers happen in my dream. Right. I'm dreaming them. They're not real. I feel like you should have to be in a satin curvy dress like Rebecca Ferguson. To <laughs> did you go that far? Did you take it to no. that? No, you did not. No, okay. but, I, but I wear a tux. All right. That's solid. That's formal. Yeah. It's dressy. And it's really that, that particular song is more of a comment on my character, Zach. It's, it's never going to be enough for me because I want to be, the number one. I want to be the biggest I can be. Yeah. Celebrity or star or success or whatever that means. But, and that's how I, that's how I took the song in context of the story. 
Interesting. All right. Yeah. This next one is still hurting, which is so poignant. And yeah. which musical is that from? It's from the last five years. Oh, I saw that movie with Anna Kendrick and Jeremy yeah, great Jordan. Movie. Really good yes. movie. They did a great job with that. What was it about that song that made you want to record it? Well, I wanted to record a Jason Robert Brown song. Right on. Number one. And this is definitely one of my favorites of his. It's, I mean, it's a classic. I mean, yeah. it's probably one of the most overused female audition songs, probably. Um, it seemed that was the last song I recorded because there was a, another song that was in its place. But as the narrative was sort of getting shaped and more specific, and I knew what I wanted it to be. That seemed like the perfect choice for that particular moment. Um, and it's just so beautiful and pure. And I, I was really cognizant of singing it really pure and not taking any liberties vocally, but really singing it note for note the way he wrote it. You know, I was really, you know, aware of that. All right. Well, let's listen to a little bit yeah. of Still Hurting. Give me a day, Jamie, bring back the lies, hang them back on the wall. Maybe I'd see how you could be so certain that we had no chance at all. Jamie is over, and where can I turn? Covered with scars, I did nothing to earn. Maybe there's somewhere a lesson to learn. But that wouldn't change the fact. That wouldn't speed the time. Once the foundations cracked and I'm still Song. You know, that is I, a rough breakup I know. I mean, song. That, yeah, because the other person's over it. They're, they've moved on. They've moved on. Um, Damn. The guy that did the arrangement of of this particular track was actually the original cello player on the song. See, Meant completely to be. by yeah, by fate. Yeah, I love it. All right. Next up, we have the song "With You," and I forget which musical this is from. It's from Ghost. The, Ooh, the Ghost. yeah. I was in Broadway. Uh, there when Ghost the Musical was opening and they were moving the props in and you could see on the, I guess there was some trick prop with a trap door or something and it was out on the street. They hadn't moved it in yet. And I, anyway, I felt like it was a spoiler sitting there on the middle of the street. <laughs> I saw the show. And yeah. I mean, people, the critics were really harsh on it. It wasn't as bad as they, they said it was. Yeah, I, I remember I didn't liking think, things about it. And, there, and there, was some, there was some really beautiful music in it. Yeah. So, so let's listen to a bit of With You. You never leave my mind So much of you is left behind you Took my My night 
Oh, that's lovely. And it's got a kind of rock edge to it, right? Yeah, Dave Stewart of the Arrhythmics, the other half of the Arrhythmics, right wrote it with Glenn Ballard, who wrote Jagged Little Pill. Alanis Morissette, they wrote it. I once interviewed Glenn Ballard for Us Magazine. I went to his office, and Us Magazine never ended up running it. But I liked... Why? I don't know. I think they changed their format or whatever he was doing wasn't happening. And I can't remember what it was pegged to. But you know we talked about Atlantis. We know you talked about Wilson Phillips. Atlantis studied with my voice teacher. All right. There you go. I have have a little fun thing. I don't know if you noticed it in with you, if you noticed the little thing. But when I I was producing the track, I... I thought, you know what? I think this is going to work. And I had my string player play Unchained Melody over the intro. Yeah. And every time the chorus comes in, you hear Unchained Melody playing underneath it. Which and it is worked. the song from Ghost. So they did not perfect. do that. No. And it you worked perfectly. I did that, yeah. You fixed it. <laughs> they should do it. Go back it would have ran. The show it would have ran. Gone. It would have gone forever. <laughs> um, I love it. What was it about the story of the song that touched you? Um, well, I, my mom passed away five years ago. And I knew that... I wanted to incorporate a little bit of her, her legacy and her, her, her relationship with me, even though I'm not playing myself technically. Right. But I wanted to depict that relationship, a mother and son. Your friend and mine, Barbara Deutsch, plays your mother. I mean, Barbara Deutsch just, is one of my favorite people. She's one of the funniest people, honestly, I've ever, ever met. I had so much fun with her. I love that woman. Yeah. And she reminds me of my mom a lot. Yeah. Um, I bought her these like kind of like glamour sunglasses, like these those big like Jackie O sunglasses. Right. And she took them and put them over her prescription glasses like a crazy lady. And I was like, oh, my God, that's genius. Yes. <laughs> so if you watch it in the car scene when we're, when we're talking in the car, she has both pairs of glasses on. Like, I love it. And she's I al- amazing. I also love Barbara because like I have a lot of dog and pony show things. And I'm like, hey, will you be in this reading or will you come and do this thing? And. I made a short film once with Tom Goss, and she was, yeah, I'll show up and be your, like, she's game. She is. She's like a team yeah. player all the way. The next song is uh, I'm Not That Girl from Wicked. Mm-hmm. And when you think of Wicked, this isn't the song you think of. It's not even the first few, but it's so this is wistful. One of the, yeah, right? this is one of the only probably not 11 o'clock number songs that you right. would think of. Not huge notes, not like. Yeah, not the big, like reflective turning point in the story with the lead character. It's not that. Right. But I thought the perspective, like having the, that story told through the, through the eyes of a gay guy who's in love with his best friend who's straight. Right. And they've been friends since they were, you know, eight years old. Yeah. I thought that angle was really um, sweet. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of I'm Not That Girl. Don't wish. Don't start wishing. Born for the rose and pearl. There's a girl I know. He loves her so. I'm not that of that song yeah. and the guy that plays your um, unrequited love is dreamy he is dreamy yeah i support that 100%. and he was in wicked on broadway Fun See? Fact. Yeah. i saw megan hilty this week in uh, a, a cabaret show 
Oh yeah, her show. Yeah, I got my friend Rustin invited me, and we went. Where where, where was it? At uh, oh Catalina Pepperdine. Oh, Pepperdine. Pe- oh Pepperdine. Okay. And she was a delight. Do you know her? Yeah. She's okay. Great. Um, and this is how she set up Wicked. She goes, "Has anyone here not seen Wicked?" And there were a handful of um, hands that went up. And she goes, "Well, just so you know, what it's about. Wicked is the story of a beautiful blonde who changes lives. Hit it." <laughs> <laughs> Which is, and then she sang popular, and it was enchanting. So she's an amazing, Glinda. Yeah. So amazing. I'm not that girl. Have you seen Have you seen Ariana Grande? Have you seen the stuff from? The film? Well, I, they drop, like, a couple of pictures, and it just looks like a silhouette. Like, it doesn't even look like a... Is there a picture in... The, like? Have I, you seen it close-up, though? No. It's pretty amazing. Okay, I haven't seen Especially it. Especially the Cynthia Rio one is really... Okay, I need to... And they, you know, and there was, there was an audio leak, too. They were, they were shooting the other day, and that leaked on Entertainment Tonight. They showed oh, it. Oh, shit. Of Iran, of, and she sounds spectacular. Oh, of course she does. Yeah. I'm rooting for her. She's going she's gonna to blow people away. Yeah. Watch, I think. Yeah. She's cool. I've kind of come around on Ariana. She wasn't always my favorite. But, I love her. But, I, but I'm in. I'm into it. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have, oh, we're getting heavy. I'd okay. give my life for you. <laughs> uh, Miss Saigon? Yes. Yes. And I know you love that show very much. Well, this is one of the few moments in the whole series that are pretty autobiographical. <laughs> I, when I was in New York, uh, Miss Saigon was coming to Broadway. This was like 1990, maybe 91, 1991, somewhere around there. And my roommate of the, my roommate and myself and Billy Porter, and there were a few of us that were called into the final callback day. So we didn't have to go through all the other auditions. We just yeah. went in the final day for the producers. Right. So I felt pretty good about my audition. I thought, I thought I was going to get it because I, I had worked with one of the people, oh, actually two of the people that were in the creative team. So I thought, oh, I have a really good chance of getting this. And I really wanted it bad. I actually went to London and saw the show with my voice teacher. Like, I really wanted it bad. Well, my roommate got it. He was the original dance captain. And then Billy, who was one of my best friends, and my friend Joanne, who's another one of my best friends, they both got it. And then two other people from, from a chorus line that I did a chorus line with got it. I did not get it. That must have been hard. At first, at first it oh, was. Yeah, we were just bowling down the road. Well, you have makeup on. Yeah, you just had to like. They were all why there. Do you, why do you smell like a helicopter? <laughs> <laughs> you um, know, I mean, the, the, I mean, the truth of the matter is that they they would never have cast me as Chris, and I, I know that, you know. But why? Um, because I wasn't fully a crossover. Across, I, I had ju- just finished doing Chorus Line, like because Chris year. is kind of like leading man. He's the leading man. He's the lead, yeah. yeah. And they weren't going to cast me as that. You were a little too youthful. I could sing it, yeah, but I just was. They didn't see me that way yet because right. I hadn't proven myself as as a, a lead or or even like a singing role yet. When you were auditioning for things like that, did you ever? I know a lot of my gay friends that are actors often think about. Am I, am, am, are they going to cast me for this straight character? Do they? Right. Did you get it? And they get in their head around that stuff. Was that ever um, a thing for you? Not really. I mean, right. not really. I mean, there, there were a couple of times that I was called in to play a gay character. Right. And um, one in particular, and I can't remember which, where it was. I think it was up for La Jolla, something La Jolla. And I had one of the best auditions I've ever had. I just went. I went there. I just let myself go. And I had never really done that before. Um, I didn't really think about it that much. I mean... Maybe in the back of my mind, I was like, okay, there's a guy next to me who's obviously straight, and he can sing as well as me. He probably 
get it before me because of that. It's an, it's not not a thing. It's not not a thing exactly. What was your attitude toward auditions generally? Were you nervous? Would you get freaked out, or were you like, were you able to sort of? Yeah, I never got freaked out. I mean, <laughs> the one really bad audition that I remember was my audition for Greece. I mean, and they were rooting for me. You know, I mean, you they should were, have gotten that. Well, part I did. That I, did, I, did got. I got. I, mean, I got an offer for it. Yeah. Um, right when I went into uh, Tommy, they offered it to me, and I had I had turned it down. I was like, I'm not leaving Tommy to go do that. You know what I mean? Right. But my audition that I I had probably like a year prior to that I auditioned for it, and it was like one of those auditions that you feel like you're on the outside of your body watching yourself audition, and it's hideous. That's what it was like. It was oh. so bad. It was it was for uh, duty. It was magic changes. The sound oh, Harris shit. spot. Okay, so it's that big song, and I just yeah. for some reason I got like really. You know, when you start to second guess what you're doing yeah. as you're doing it, yeah, and then you then you don't nail it. It's just that's what happened. The word duty applied in more yeah, ways than one. Like, uh, exactly, <laughs> it was a big duty. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh, but that is a uh, you know. Do you know Do you know who played duty on Broadway? No, and then went on to great acclaim. John Travolta was Duty. Really? He was Duty on Broadway He's in too Greece. sexy for Duty. That's what he played in the show before he did the movie, yeah. Interesting. He graduated to playing Danny, yeah. All right, and then uh, let's listen to a little bit of I'd Give My Life For You. Oh, you will be who you want to be. You heart-wrenching and yeah. uh yeah i mean the, the melodies in that show are just glorious that song surprised me because when i when i said i always wanted, i've always wanted to sing that song i thought it was gonna be like an easy song right because when leia salonga sang it she sang it in her head voice it just sat in that really pretty floaty place yeah and it sounded effortless because she never really belted that song the way right. that she did it and me being a a man, it's just it's a different placement. It's a different part of my, you know our voice, and it had to be full, it had to be full voice. It couldn't be falsetto. That would have been crazy and right. weird. It would be like the Four Seasons singing "I Give My Life for You." Right. So um, it was a hard song. One of the one of the harder songs to record because it really shocked me how much harder that song was than I imagined. Maybe. Wow! But you so. you stuck it out. You figured it out. Thanks. And then. <laughs> Uh, next up is also from Miss Saigon, I still yeah, believe. Yeah, I still believe, yeah, which is my favorite song from the show. I yeah. Love it. Love that song. Yeah. I mean, both both of those episodes are sort of fantasy dreams that I'm having. They're all sort of fantasy dreams, but these these in particular are sort of the comic relief moments in the story. Right. <laughs> you play the auditioning people that are auditioning. Yeah. In my dream, I go to audition for Miss Saigon. Right. You know, and they say, oh, no, we want you to audition for Kim. Right. And I'm like, okay. And yeah. I just... They're mixing it up. Yeah, and then they call me back for a callback. Yeah. And that's and that's when I wake up from that dream. Okay. And I sort of like, I'm like, oh, no, uh-uh, mm-mm. Right. 
and I force myself to go back to sleep, and that's when I sing I Still Believe. All right, well, let's listen to a little bit of I Still Believe. Saigon is the one show you did more than one song from, right? Yes. In the project. Yeah. Yeah. You love it. You've always loved it since I've known you, you've talked about it. Miss Saigon? Yeah. Really? I love I love that song. Yeah. It, it was funny when I recorded, I still believe I played it for my, my producing partner who, who co-produced some of the songs on this. And he's like, well, who's going to do the duet with you? Because he thought that it was just like a placeholder. I said, no, I'm singing both parts. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. he's like, he's like, oh, just, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's my pandemic project. I yeah. do what the I fuck get to, I want. I get to sing it. I didn't. Yeah. I was never cast in the show. Let me sing it. Yeah, um, exactly. I had four friends in the fucking show. I'm singing both parts. <laughs> okay. Uh, next up, this is one of my favorites uh, in the project. Take Take Me or Leave Me from yeah. Rent. Yeah. And it's a duet. It Talk a about duet. Uh, your duet partner. Yeah, this was really really fun. Um, I knew that I wanted to do a duet um, in this project, and. I wanted to do a duet with my friend Marty. We've been talking about it for years. Marty. And Marty Thomas. Right on. Marty Thomas uh, was on Star Search, and he beat Britney Spears. It was that season. Like in the in the show, he didn't physically hit her. Right, he didn't exactly. Physically assault yeah, yeah. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he won over her. He won over her. And Marty, yeah. I met Marty about twenty years ago. He sang in this songwriting showcase that I had. A, a, it was a night of my music, but it was sung by other singers, and he was one of them. And Billy recommended him, and he came in blew me away i was like oh my god who is this guy he's unbelievable and we kept in touch and we got to be better friends because he, he would come out to la He'd, he would stay with me a couple times and we just became really really good friends and um when i was working on this i thought this would be a great opportunity to work with marty and um what i loved about this most most of all i wasn't wasn't worried about the song i knew the song would be fine and whatever but the scene that leads into it that's an actual zoom call that we both recorded right and it's you two talking on zoom kind of about performing about the business yeah the business because pretty much all the songs in this series sort of flip the narrative on the, the original it's not the original story whereas like in rent this was like a lover's quarrel yeah you know, between two you know two, two girlfriends and it wasn't going to be that in this um it, so we made it more like a bitch fest about the business i love it yeah and so the the scene before was an actual zoom call that we that we did and we so it wasn't it. scripted. You guys nothing, just talked. Nothing in this thing was scripted. Really? None of the dialogue in any of the, the scenes oh, was okay. scripted. Yeah. But this one de- definitely was not. But we knew that it was going to be a little bit of like, you know, girlfriends kind of bitching about the business and they don't take me seriously and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So we recorded probably like a 20-minute call. And then I took it and I edited it down to create what it became. But there's some things that, I mean, Marty. It's funny. It's really funny. And it's really, it just feels really authentic because that really is like our friendship, you know? Yeah. And Marty's great in it. He has some great, some great one line. That <laughs> well, when you're laughing at him, you're, gen- you, it looks yeah. like you're genuinely laughing. Because so. he's ridiculous. His voice yeah. is ridiculous. But I mean, the, the the lead-in line, and it wasn't 
when we did it, it wasn't a lead in line at all, but I made it to lead in line because it was so perfect. Yeah, I think I could I could live in this pandemic for a little while longer. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. And that story about about the casting, the breakdown saying a Marty Thomas type. Right. That's a true story. So they were looking for a Marty Thomas type, but they for didn't just Frankie. hire him. Right. For Grace and Frankie. That, that was in the breakdown. Wow. Did he get it? He did get it, thank God. Oh, yeah. I like, really had to audition for it. I mean I just think that is so funny. I mean that's yeah. just that says how absurd the business is. It's crazy. Well, let's listen to a little <laughs> bit of Take Me or Leave Me. In your bed, in your bed. That's it. The straw that breaks my back. so fun um, and those this horns is, i love those horns so much when i think of your project the editing in this is so great you're such thank a good you. editor i think thank you're you, you have such thank a you. gift for musicality when you're editing and in this particular song with the back and forth and the zoom of it all it really shows that thank off to you. effect do you enjoy the editing do you so like that much. part you love it so much because it, it's I one wish... of those things where you look up and it's six hours later right oh my god you have no idea but you I, get I got lost carpal, in i got carpal tunnel from it but you, you're in it. You're not like, oh, I have to keep Oh, no, this. I love it. It's Because it's musical. Right. And I, I wish I would have discovered this one thing about it er, earlier, but the editor has the most power. You're so good at it. You're Thank so you. good at editing. I um, mean, you, you really could take, like, the worst, like, mediocre footage anywhere and create something really special. And you could also take the best footage. And if you can't edit it, yeah. you know, it could be terrible. So It's make or break. Yeah. Okay. The next song is, I think... One of your favorites, and certainly one of my favorites, he used to be mine from Waitress. Yeah, it's my favorite. And um, I think you should, you had pies delivered for this part of the interview, <laughs> no? I don't see. They're not here yet? Is that Sarah Lee? <laughs> She's not here. So this song, you love it. I love this song. You, you recorded it for a previous project. I did, yeah. yeah. I had it on my Estrogen Sessions album. And right. It, and it was a different approach. And, you know, this is one of those songs. I mean, it's, I think it's. I think it's probably the best song ever written for a show. I yeah. just, it's perfect. It's a really perfectly crafted song. And what the message is that the lyrics are just, it's just not the way that Sarah Bareilles wrote it. And from the perspective, it's not something that you hear very often in a song, in right. a pop song. Yeah. Someone's singing about the person that they used to be. Right. And that's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. And I, re and I relate to it. I think yeah. anyone who's over, anyone over 35 who's had some tough times in their life or in their career and wish that they could have a do-over or they would, you know, or they're not, they're not happy or satisfied with where they are now. Yeah. Well, get it. I mean, All right. yeah. I love doing this part because I feel like I'm a DJ. And it's Peaches and Herb with Reunited. Like, I, have, I get to do that voice, <laughs> And <right>? Secret Lovers. <laughs> Just because um, all my lovers out there. Oh, one time I used to be a, a host on a uh, radio show called Radio with a Twist, and we would play music. We would play the Big Gay 7, 
And um, every once in a while, once in a while, <laughs> this makes me laugh and I may keep it in the piece. Um, we were playing Cool in the Gang. No, Ready for the World's Oh, Sheila. And um, I, oh, she, oh, no, oh, oh. wait. Oh, Sheila. Oh, oh, yeah. Me. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and, and I remember one time going, and here it is, number six on our countdown. It's Ready for the World and Oh, Sheila, or as I like to call it, Oh, Sheila. <laughs> I like to be exasperated with it's Sheila. It's so funny. Yeah. I love it. Oh, Sheila. Anyway, let's listen to a little bit of He Used to Be Mine. Now I got you. You're not what I asked for. If I'm honest, I know I would give it all back For a chance to start over And rewrite an ending or two For the boy that I knew Who'd be reckless Just enough Who'll get hurt But who learns how to toughen up when he's bruised and gets used by a man of can love and then he'll get stuck and be scared of the light once inside him now they're stronger each day till it finally reminds him to fight just a little to bring back the It's such a beautiful song, and the theme of it, I think it resonates for a lot of people. If I were asked to ever talk to young people in entertainment, and they were like, what did you learn about media, business, anything like that, I would say, learn how to deal with disappointment. 100%. Come up with a toolkit. I can't they, tell they you about agents that. or managers, but come up with a personal They should teach toolkit, that. They should, teach, they should prepare you for the reality of... It's not going to work out the way you think it's going to work out. But here's the thing, and I think about this a bit. There was a period of time where I really thought a lot about how I should have done better. I deserve better. Oh, yeah. I, I thought about that, but I realized it doesn't serve you to think that way. It's, no. not, a, it's not a good look. It's definitely not a good look. It's not sure. a good look, and it's not a... It's not a fun way to be, and I also think, no one cares. No, exactly. That, that's 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 the gist. It's of it. just not. It's, but I think it's okay. But it's valid to, for you to feel. I know that I deserved more, or I deserve right. more. You know what I mean? And it's weird. I as I get older, the more I'm able to sort of step out of myself and look at this guy who, who didn't get his due, right? And not looking at me like, oh, poor me, but like, and have empathy for that person because I know how much I, you know, how how hard I've worked all these years. Right, but if, there's a lot of people that have right. same experience, so it's not and, that extraordinary of an experience. Right, it, it, it's not. You don't have to take it personally, and it's also like it's a crapshoot. And there's a, and I think holding on to it doesn't serve you. I think I realize. absolutely without a doubt. I, and I think it kind of caught up to me when I had some 
physical and mental health challenges, you know, a, a number of years ago. I think it was kind of that thinking of like, you know, I don't know, like what, what, what I get and what I don't well, you know get what, and what, uh, what I should have and why does that person and, you know, like I let I mean, that that's, shit that's the, go and I got and A lot better. of people, including myself and probably you at, at times, we, yeah. we tend to, you know, compare our success to other people's. Right. You know what I mean? But, you know, the truth of the matter is sometimes we just need a yes. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we, we, that might be the title of this podcast. Yeah, sometimes you just need a yes. You just need a little now, this, thing. This, yeah. this particular song is the only song I changed any of the lyrics. Oh, what did you change to? Well, he used to be mine. Okay, obviously. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. And then in the in the in waitress, she's pregnant. Right. And there's a there's a line that she says, uh, and she gets scared of the life now inside her. Okay. Growing stronger each day till it finally reminds her. Yeah. Obviously, I'm not pregnant, so I said, uh, and he gets scared of the light. Once, once oh. inside him, now less stronger each day. Wow. Like, because that's your creative spark. The, the light went out. Yeah, he gave up. Oof. As so. bar- we previously mentioned Barbara Deutsch, she often talks about the pilot light that a lot of creative people have in there that's just there. Yeah. And if you don't foster it, it's going to burn your insides out. And you fostered it with this beautiful project. Thank Do you, you like how it's all tying together? It's, uh, it's yeah, full circle. Yeah. Next up, we have The Human Heart, which is like a kind of cool, mellow jam. What's it from? Once on this island. I like it. It's yeah, it feels one, like you're on an island. It feels yeah, you like know you're what? chilling. When I saw the show, because I had a couple friends in their, the original cast of the original run of the show back in 1990. Yeah. And that song is the one that I took away. Because, I mean, her vocal, the original woman who did it on Broadway was just divine. And, like, it was like, <laughs> I say, it's like getting a warm hug. That's what the song feels yeah, like. Yeah, it's, it's mellow. It's not trying cozy. too hard. It's just, like, And the lyrics the are just... They're beautiful and poignant, and it's like, you know, one day you're going to be the teacher. All right. Basically what it says. And um, I had COVID when I recorded that song, just so you know. I found out the day after I recorded the vocal. <laughs> that's so there you exciting. Go. And that's it's a little, so B- little BTS info. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I like it. COVID. All right. Let's listen to a little bit of The Human Heart. With COVID. <laughs> <laughs> now with COVID. The courage of the dreamer. Of you, the failures and the foolishness that lead us to the truth, the hopes that make us happy, the hopes that don't come true. And all the love there ever was, I see this all in you. You are part, part of the human heart. You are part. That was the human heart. What strain of COVID did you have? Do you remember when you sang that? Um, Omicron, I think. Oh, so that was an Omicron song. I, think I like so. it. It's good. So I could. I, I. I picked up a hint of it, but I wasn't sure. I think. I think so. I like it. Um, this next one is kind of giving me boy band vibes. Anything but lonely. <laughs> yes. What show is that from? It was from Aspects of Love. Oh, yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Andrew Lloyd Webber. 
Phantom went off Broadway recently, yes. and I keep thinking that he died, but he didn't die. Phantom closed. <laughs> His son died, though. Recently. Oh, okay. His son died like, okay. a month ago. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I knew there was something. I, death, I, yeah. yeah, okay. Um, yeah, as, this is from Aspects of Love. Right. And the, it was originally created by my friend Anne Crum. She, she did the role originally. On and, Broadway? On Broadway and London. Both. Nice. And she was in the original cast of Les Mis and Chess on Broadway. And she was a very, very good friend of mine. And we studied with Bill, the same voice teacher. And right. We did the revival of Rags together as well. And um, I knew that I wanted to pay tribute to her when I decided to do this project. I knew you know, they're all female songs. I said, I want to find a way to do something for her. I thought, what better way than to reimagine her 11 o'clock number from that show? So that's – so I contacted Jesse. I said, Jesse, I want to do like a throwback, like 90s voice to men, yeah. color me bad kind of arrangement right. of the song where it's all acapella. And even the percussion, I'm doing the percussion as well. I'm like banging on my desk and clapping. And Are you beatboxing? I don't beatbox, but right. I'm, I am creating like the, the sounds. Wow. Well, let's yeah. listen to a little bit of that. I like it better when I say the name of the song, so I'm going to intro that song again. And now let's listen to a little bit of Anything But Lonely. You notice how I bring it in that little... Yes, Anything But Lonely. Time, passing time, lonely is what I'll never be. While there's still some life in me. And I'm still young, don't forget. This isn't over yet. So many hearts for me to And it's got some ography in it. You do some moves. It's got it's some. A it's sloppy. got a little. It's got a little bit of a. I wish I would have brought a choreography. A swag. It's got a little. Swag. It does have a swag. Yeah. Um, I want it to feel kind of croonery, kind of boy, yeah. you know that kind of thing. And then one of the big emotional climaxes is I'm here from the color purple. And ever since I've known you, you've talked about how much you love that movie and that show. So what it was important for you to do one of the songs from that? Yeah, the color purple was huge in my teen years and my formative years for some reason and i think the movie the movie yeah and the book yeah and the soundtrack i had all of them i was i was borderline obsessed with it i saw it 16 times in the theater the movie wow I what loved, was it about it well it's it's beautiful to look at number one and the performances are so unbelievable um the score that quincy jones scored to me was just that da, yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I've tried to figure this out because it doesn't really make a lot of sense why I was so attached to it. But I, I do have other friends that kind of had the same experience with right. that, with that movie, and I think it's just because it was people that were marginalized and they yeah. got revenge and they got you know they came out on top at the end. Right. You know what I mean? Not revenge. They got not through the it. Word. Yeah. They they they, they, they got through, they the, got the, through the, 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 the the tough times and came out on top in the end. And right. then I saw the revival. I saw the original production of the show, but then it's when I saw the revival of the show with Cynthia Revo in the best performance I've ever seen on Broadway. 
her I mean, unbelievable performance. Um, and her rendition of the song really, really stood out. And it seemed like the perfect message for the moment in the narrative. So, all right, let's listen to a little bit of I'm Here. my socks off just like the raw emotion of it so that's, that's definitely one of the harder songs yeah in the whole set for sure yeah yeah the woman who co-wrote the song brenda russell actually sent me a message really piano like, in the dark and, get here and get here yeah yes and she wrote co-wrote the color purple musical yeah what did she say well alan rich sent her the song amazing okay alan rich is a big songwriter huge songwriter that i recorded a song on my very first album that he wrote um, and he sent it to her, and she sent me the loveliest message, the email, so nice. And she was – it was just lovely. And I've, I've admired her for years, so I loved Piano in the Dark. I was, I was obsessed with that song. I sang that once at one of those recording star booths that you Isn't go that into in like West, Magic Mountain. West. I'm a little embarrassed by it. I'm like, I'm, I, I like to do watching the time. Yeah, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick some, I'm gonna kick the ass of piano yeah. in the dark. Uh-huh. Hit it like <laughs> just in a theme park. I love those recording booths. I was all about. Oh my god, it. Me I was too. into it. But I no one ever sounded good in them. Like if there was something about. The- yeah, the reverb or the EQ is like warped or something. It's well, weird. I think they pump that up to try to make uh, people sound as like I don't it's know. as wet as possible. <laughs> it's like as it's, wet. It's like you're in a cave. Yes, I think that that's technical uh, verbiage, but I'll take it. Um, and then finally, uh, what I did for love is your final song, and what I love, I've I've I guess I like this song from Chorus Line, but it felt a little cheesy. Like it felt a little seventies. My association with it is very like. I don't it doesn't, know. It, it doesn't it's age. Little, the original arrangement does not age well. But you made it fresh and Thank resonant you. and emotional and really well, we, beautiful. What was your well, take on I it? I have to give credit to Andy Zula, who's my producing partner. He was my producer on my first album. He, he's produced the majority of things I've ever recorded before I started producing my own stuff. He produced the track for it. And it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's a beautiful track. And, yeah, we just wanted to make it um, less sentimental. You know what I mean? Because once you play into the sentimentality, that's when it's like, ugh. And the song speaks for itself. The message speaks for itself. And the melody is so beautiful. But it does sort of get held back when you hear it, the old arrangement today. Yeah. You kind of don't pay attention to what the song is saying. And in this particular, you know, this particular version, it's sort of 
tackling two different messages, the, the love that I have for the business and the sacrifice that you make, which is what the song is about. But then there's also the sacrifice and the love I have for my mother. Right. So that's in the course of the, the, story, the story of 11 o'clock number. Let's listen to a little bit of, here I get to say the song title. Let's listen to a little bit of What I Did for Love. What I did for love. What I did for so beautiful um and now who is the chorus there's a whole chorus of people it's all men all men all I love men it. sing it it's um willie falk the original chris and miss saigon right that fucker that got your God part damn it i know we did joseph together he's a dear friend he's saying okay. it. ty taylor um uh kevin spiritus you, you I, brought I did the chorus line with, i did chorus line with kevin did with, you bring uh, them in yeah or did you uh or do they do it over Zoom or uh, The Broadway Boys sing on it, and yeah. they recorded it in New York and sent it to me. And Jesse Neger is the creator of the Broadway Boys. so that's his, What that's is the Broadway group. Boys? It's this, this group, this singing group of all guys that, that you know, from We're Broadway shows. Smart. And they're unbelievable singers, like crazy. You Instagram them. Yeah. Or TikTok them, too. I mean, they're incredible singers. I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah. There should be, there should be a West Coast one, and you should be in it. You should head, headline what, it. What would it be called? Like the... The Broadway West Boys. Okay. Uh, the West Broadway. No, I don't know. That sounds weird. We but, did Broadway Bears yeah. LA once, and it was busted. I think I might have been in that. I was one of those were people you? that were, that kept their clothes on. Kind <laughs> and of you begged to be in it. I think I was one of those people that got randomly in it. I did do that. At the, uh, the pal- uh, yeah. no, palace, right? Is that- Somewhere. It's called Avalon now. Yes. I feel like I was in that. I forgot about that. I don't remember the number. I feel like I was, I was in a in tux. That, I was in the number yeah. in the shower. <laughs> yeah, that's hot. I was in the shower. Yeah, rain. Yeah, I like it. I like people wet on stage when I can get yes. it. Yes. Um, Who doesn't? So <laughs> it was the perfect capper of your project because I think it does sum up everything really beautifully. Well, there's, you know, there's. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, Dennis, but do you know that Barbara Deutsch, our yeah. friend Barbara Deutsch, yeah, went to the final dress rehearsal of a chorus line in New York. In really? Re- in real life. Yeah, and so I incorporated that into the storyline, because in the story Barbara is, was a musical theater actress. Okay, and I'm a musical theater actor, and that's kind of what made us really close. And she named me Zach after she saw the final dress rehearsal of a chorus line. Right, and she really did see the final dress rehearsal, which I think is Barbara wonderful. did, and that was my Broadway debut. So it's kind of like a little sweet full circle. I love that. Did she say she thought it was great? Did she think it was going to be a big hit? Oh, oh yeah, I love it. 
I love it. Yeah. She, she wasn't like, I have a few notes. She was like, no, this is solid. She's like, I had doubts about it. <laughs> I don't no. know. I don't know. No, I think, I think she yeah. knew. She knew. She knew it was going to be knew, magical. I think. Yeah. Um, tell people how they can watch and enjoy 11 o'clock number. Well, as of right now, you can watch it on my YouTube channel. Right on. It's right there. And it's, there's many different incarnations of the series up there. Right. And you've been releasing two a week, right? Two a week, yeah. So next, when is the, when does the final? May 1st is the final. That's, that's when you're going to get the final live stream. And then that'll all be up there. It'll I love all be it. We talked before about how this was a pandemic era project that just kept evolving. What did it mean to you? What have you taken away from the experience of doing it? I feel like I really got to develop some skills that I didn't know I really had, like editing. That was a big one. You're so good at it. Thank you. Um, it was a huge, huge project in terms of – because you think about it, like because it's edited like a music video, and there's an average of one cut per second. So you think about all those cuts. Yeah. It's a lot of cuts. And, um, and I tried to find you know different ways of, of doing things and not doing it the same way every single time. And it was, it was really fun because I got to experiment – and there was really nothing at stake at the time because we were all locked at home. Right. So it felt great that way. I felt no pressure to, you know, finish it at a certain time. I finished it when it got done. What do you hope people get from it? Well, you want it to be seen. You right. want it to get the exposure that you think it deserves. But you want people to relate to it. You want people, you want them to be affected emotionally in some way. You know, I think that's why artists do anything. But Personally, I would love for it to lead to some other opportunities. You know, I would love to like develop, you know, musical content for a production company or, you know, on a, on a larger scale that aren't my projects, but I help develop them from the beginning. Cause I, I think there's a, a space for this type of content, short form musical and the way this is presented, it's presented in a way that I think is easy to di digest. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you ever think about trying to go back to Broadway and that kind of, performing in that you ever think I, i'm gonna move yes. to new york and just audition for shit well i'm not doing that but <laughs> i'm definitely not doing it's not that gonna happen but do you ever daydream about be, was, getting back oh yeah I have, a day, I have a daydream of like you know susan stroman or wayne Salento calling me up say i have this new show and and you're perfect for one of the leads right i have of course i have dreams because i remember when that happened to billy with with with, with, kinky, with kinky boots, boots. yeah i remember the whole thing because he was you know hadn't worked in like over 10 years at that point yeah and that changed his life, you know? yeah. And he was so disciplined, and I mean, I, I I was with him a lot during it, and just to see him how he how he handled that whole experience was really inspiring. And he just did it did it right, and it led to tons of opportunities afterwards. So, you know, you're pursuing this for a long time, and along with your friend Billy, and then he has this big breakout, and so you probably get a view into what it's like when it happens, right? Yeah. What has that been like? What have you observed about fame in general? Um, well, he's definitely the most famous friend I've, I have. Right. And, but and it I, didn't happen when he was 20. No, and I, and I, because we've been friends for over 30 years and right. we've been roommates and to watch him go through it and he went through a really tough decade, you know, that was right. heartbreaking to, to watch. And then when he did get that, finally got that moment and then got all the accolades from it and then, right. All these other huge opportunities afterwards. Yeah, fashion icon. Fashion icon. And, yeah, you know, he's all of it. His visibility is unbelievable and starring the Walk of Fame already. I yeah, mean, incredible. But for a lot of people, they think it was like overnight. I'm like, no, it wasn't overnight. Even though his rise was quick. Once it, he hit the stride, it was quick. Right. Um, but it gave me sort of hope and inspiration that it's still possible to achieve 
that right you know that dream that you always had that i've always had and you know maybe it'll happen still yeah it happened to him because i'm the same age as billy and yeah it just it, i don't know it's inspiring to watch that happen that's you know, cool and, and to and to someone that really deserves it who, yeah who's, who's worked for it and de- deserves everything so what i've enjoyed just from my vantage point is he seemed like someone who was was good at performing and all of this stuff, but did other stuff because he needed to. I'm going to start writing and I'm going to start... Like, he's kind of diversifying because he's trying to fucking survive. Yeah. And then when he gets the success, he's ready. I've got... I can write a book. I can do this. I've got yeah. it all. I've got the PowerPoint. I've got... Let me get my computer. Like, he he's was very ready. Like, he was on it, he, right? He... I'll tell you what, when he was doing Kinky Boots, because I stayed with him a couple of times when he was doing it. Yeah. Now, here he is starring in this huge show that he won right. the Tony Award for. He would get up every morning. If he didn't have interviews, which he had a lot of still, like for months and months and months after it opened, if he wasn't doing that, he would get up, take a shower, have his coffee and whatever, oatmeal, get ready, like look really, really nice. You know, he put on some really, really nice clothes. He would go to the Soho house and write all day. That's what he would do. Every day. Wow. So disciplined. If he wasn't you know, obligated to do anything, that's what he would do. So when it happened, he was ready he was, to go. He was ready to go. He had this project he's a great, and the next He's project. a really great yeah. writer. I mean, that's, he's really, he's that's developed really that cool. skill. Yeah. yeah. And when, you know, when he was going through that downtime, he went back to school. Yeah. He went to the UCLA uh, grad program yeah. for screenwriting. But I love it. Yeah. Well, Matt Zarley, thank you yes. for taking part in our listening party. I thank wish you, I had Dennis. more songs that I could say. <laughs> and now here's another one from Matt Zarley. <laughs> Coming in at number one for the seventh week in a row. Okay. Um, here's my final question for you. Yeah. I know a number of singers. Nobody in my life loves to sing as much as you do. You fucking love it. <laughs> right? You I do. love it. What is it about it? How does it feel? Um, it's, it feels like freedom. It feels like freedom. Um, I don't know. You know, I, I have always loved music period. Right. You know, when I started as a dancer, I was always had a mild obsession with music. And, um, when I crossed over to more of like a vocalist and singer in that world, um, and when I saw results taking voice lessons every week, you know, and I saw, started to see the results, I was getting better and like stronger and, you know, more consistent. That's exciting, you know what I mean? And it, it does give you a sense of freedom that you can express yourself in that way. Right. Um, I think probably over the past few years, probably the last three or four years, I've really come to terms with what I do well. I, I know I know what, what my wheelhouse is. I know it's what I excel at and what I right. need to work on. Um, and that's also freeing as well right I mean? and it's like you have this sports car that does these things and now you want to take it for a spin kind of kind of yeah but and you I, built the sports car and I, but i never really felt that way when i when i lived in new york when i was doing shows i always second guessed everything i did really you, the, you didn't feel assured around it no way no way i mean i could hit the notes and i could do it technically but you didn't i never it. thought i was the best i never thought i was i mean there were times i'd go to a, an audition it was like a, mostly a dance audition but they have a scene and i was usually the the better singer at the, because I, of the dancers for sure. Um, but I didn't really believe in myself truly, really until I, until really the past few years and working on this project, especially (laughs) I say it's, I, I approached this project in the studio as if I was never going to sing again. That's how I approached it because I wanted to, I wanted to give it everything. I wanted it to sound the best it could sound. 
and I was I was going to be as meticulous as I could with the vocals because I wasn't going to like settle for anything. I wanted I don't want to like go. Oh, I wish I would have fixed that one thing. Or I wish I would have something different. Well, I would come over to watch TV or something. And you're like, oh, I re-recorded the first four songs. What? <laughs> yeah, I did not. <laughs> you, I you would be record like, I'm a lot of stuff. Andrea in to do that. Like I've decided I'm going to have a choir of angels. From <laughs> like you were always upping this ante. Kind and- of, and it's I get on my own nerves. Trust me. <laughs> Like when I'll, you know when it's four o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to get this one vocal part and it's just not happening or I'm getting tired and I'm like, and I'm just so like, you got to get it, you get it, you're not going to bed, right? You're mm-hmm. not going to bed. You will not. I you will, will, you will not masturbate until exactly. you get these notes. Um, but that idea of <laughs> singing like you're never going to get to sing again is it gave me chills thinking about it and I think it comes through on this. And as a friend, I've just been inspired by um, what you've created. And Thank your you commitment guys. to it, and Thank how into you. it you are, because no one can take away how into it you were. No matter how something goes, I believe this. No matter how, it, once it goes out into the world, it's gonna, what's going to happen is going to happen. And it's subjective. All right. art is but subjective. But no one can take away the joy you got from doing it. It was the most rewarding experience, and be, and I'm really proud of it. At the end of the day, I think it's really good. I think it's good. I'm I'm not ashamed to say that. I think it's really good, and it's really unique. Yeah. And that's what makes it special for me is is unique all right so. and you're unique you're thank unique you, Matt. Too. we thank got you, through Dennis. this in thank person you. i sat on a bed the dogs were around Aww. you stood up because the mic stand wouldn't go low but you know what we made it work we made it work what's your favorite song on the thing i'm gonna this is how i'm gonna close with my dj voice my favorite song on one uh, o'clock uh, number yeah he used to be mine's my okay. favorite song coming in at number one for the 17th week in a row it's matt zarley with he used to be mine that was on so American cool. Top 40. I couldn't stop. I that couldn't let it so go. That was so believable. Thank you. It's solid, right? Yeah. This is my you, calling. You've really committed <laughs> to that. <laughs> Thanks again to Matt Zarley for the listening party and for having me in his place. And he also ordered Chin Chin. So we had a delicious Chinese chicken salad um, before we did our listening party. And also, I forgot to ask him where the term 11 o'clock number comes from. And... 11 o'clock number is the big number in a Broadway show, the sort of one that that is the big emotional powerhouse, blow the roof off the place number. And apparently, Matt told me that back in the day, the shows used to start at 8.30 on Broadway. So at 11 o'clock, that's when that big number would happen. Now it's probably earlier, but they still call it the 11 o'clock number. It's the roof-raising emotional climax of the piece. Um, so that's a little fun fact. All right, so this happened um, this past Saturday night, just last night is as I'm recording this. I went to the 30th anniversary of the nightclub Drag Strip 66. It's a club that existed in LA in the, I think it began in the 90s. It must have, yeah, if it's it's the uh, 30th year. Into the 2000s. I discovered a little bit late in its run, but it would be once a month. People would dress in drag, but not everybody was in drag. I never went in drag, but they had cool music and the, the, the people that ran it, um, were super nice and the door people were friendly it just had a different vibe than any other club um there were cute boys it was a makeout place like you would make out like i remember a few different instances of people i met at drag strip and it just had a vibe and it was magical uh, mr dan and paul v were two of the people behind it i think they were the main people and there were other people that ran the door anyway they brought it back for a 30th anniversary one of uh club and the tickets went very fast because there are so many people that love that club. They haven't, I don't think, done it 
in 10 years. So anyway, it's at this place in Silver Lake called Los Globos. And I get there and it's like, I saw faces that I hadn't seen in 20 years. Like people I knew from LA that weren't good friends, but you knew them from around or it was so surreal. And it had that same drag strip feeling. It felt the way drag strip used to feel, which is fun, inclusive, sexy, flirty, safe, cool. There was no attitude. It just was magic. And, but we're all older now, right? And it was kind of like, it felt a little bit like being in the haunted mansion at Disneyland when those ghosts would start appearing in your car. It's like, it's like all these people like from your past, but we're all, you know, we're, and, and I think middle age is kind of the great equalizer because all the guys that used to be super hotties are just middle aged like you now. So it's all, we're all, we all got bellies, like, but it was so fun. And I really hope they bring it back for more because I was just kind of, I woke up this morning kind of like delighted and exhilarated. Oh, and I stayed out late. Like I was like, oh, tearing it up, dancing, flirting. It was, it was a lot. And I'm so glad that it happened and I hope they do more. So, all right, that's enough for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to AJ Sousa for mixing the episodes. My theme music is by Mark Daniels for placement music. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.